going to be that kind of podcast, isn't it? <laughs> As I think I've mentioned before, it's always that kind of podcast. <laughs> Welcome once again to It Is Complicated, the podcast where we answer every single question with It Is Complicated, including the title of this podcast, which is It Is Complicated. Hello, Dr. J. Hello, Josephine. How are you this insert time period here? Insert emotion here. <laughs> insert laughter here. <laughs> what are you, Dr. J? <laughs> What am I? What oh, according to a lot of people, I am very much a troublemaker at the moment and a hashtag queer nuisance because branding and annoying. So I gave myself the job title Harbinger of Change at Footworks where I work because they allow me to define who I am. And thankfully, the New Zealand government also did the same and allowed me to write on a statutory declaration, a declaration of what my gender is. They were expecting a single word. I gave them transgressive, non-binary, genderqueer. I don't think they've got any clue of what to do with this other than they know that it means that I'm an ex on my passport. Yeah, like I said, I'm a troublemaker and a hashtag queer nuisance because branding of some sorts. So when are you, Josephine? When, I, when am I? I am now. Which, if you've watched Spaceballs, the movie, you know that that was just then and not now now. And... If you thought you missed now, now you did. It was just then, when, just now. I'm also an independent scholar, activist, and artist. I like to make a spectacle of myself upon the stage and occasionally on the internet. I draw queers for fun and post them on my Instagram. And I like to think of myself as a queer without portfolio because hashtag employment. Hashtag and unemployment. Because of hashtag unemployment. <laughs> Because COVID is driving so many of our friends and contemporaries into hashtag oh fuck employment. It's hashtag hashtag consultant, hashtag uh, freelancer, hashtag unemployed, hashtag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, so if you've enjoyed listening to this bollocks, please go to our Patreon and help us make even more fabulous things happen. Patreon.com slash it is complicated, all one word. We would love you very much for that. We would. We would love for you to be a patron. Consider yourself a patron of the queer arts. Yes, because we are queer and this is apparently an art. Yeah, let's call it that. Yes, yes. Uh, so I was going to say, in a segue, ooh. Josephine's response to When Are You, Josephine, shows a little bit of what I think we're going to talk about or try and talk about around neuronormativity. Because one of the things that I know with Josephine is that you can kind of give a sort of a, an opening and there will be a quote from a movie that is exactly word for word an inflection for inflection where possible of what was said on the screen. You can step in at any point and off we go. Almost. Pretty much. Which is not the way that my brain works. None of us are normative in how that we think. There is just an assumption that everyone thinks the same in a very kind of semi-linear if A, then B, then C, then D kind of way. Whereas some of us are, if A, then I will go into a deep discussion about the colours of A. And some of us are, if A, then Z prime, then waffle, then spaghetti. And people are like, how did we end up on spaghetti? And I'm like, it's really obvious we started off with A. <laughs> 
I mean, you are very much a occasionally start with A, go into depths about the colours of A and the fonts of A and the whether A is in a serif or a sans serif and or handwritten and if it's handwritten and what texture is it handwritten and on what kind of document is it written? <laughs> Jane knows me very well. <laughs> I don't even need to be here for this episode, do I? <laughs> just, just, just talk about me, it's fine. I mean that in a genuine and friendly manner. That's the other thing. We're going to get into this, but one of the things that my particular non-normativity in the neuro sense is that I take things very literally, <laughs> completely on face value. So if I say something like that, there's no subterfuge, there's no subtext, there's only text. <laughs> so if I say I don't need to be here for that, I don't mean, Jay, you're talking over me and I shouldn't, you shouldn't do, I mean, no, you could probably do that. And I'm quite happy with this. <laughs> like, the funny thing is the more I've learned about autism, the more I've learned about non-normativity in the neuro sense the more I realize that's what I am because I see the patterns of my learning about emotions, about people, about all sorts of things, more specifically psychology as a process of trying to figure all this stuff out (laughs) without realizing that's what I'm doing. Uh, As many people who are non-normative in a neuro sense or any sense often have this spell of trying to figure themselves out in relation to a system that they don't understand. So what they do is try to learn as much about that system as possible and then reproduce a facsimile of what they think is normal. It is literally like a mask. In fact, that's the term that often is used by different autistic people and different autistic groups to discuss how you're often asked by society to present as not autistic, not neuro-normative. You mask it, you cover it up, you hide. You're in the closet, effectively, with that particular part of your subjectivity. In my case, I literally spent school completely dumbfounded by people and what they did and why. I honestly had no idea. And I remember on one occasion in high school literally deciding that I would try to figure this out. Like, I remember the day and I was like, okay, I'm going to figure this out. And of course, by figuring out, I meant go to the library (laughs) and study (laughs) because I had no fucking idea. And guess what I did for my first degree? I went and studied psychology, (laughs) a three-year bachelor's degree in psychology. I have a bachelor's of science in social psychology because I needed to learn how people work. And now I can tell you how they work for the most part in an intellectual way. I understand that. I still have no fucking idea why. (laughs) It's this really odd combination of knowing and complete lack of cohesion and understanding. It's very strange. And it took to very recently to realize that this is not how other people work. (laughs) Because, of course, like everyone, I assume how I think is how everyone else thinks. Which, of course, is patently false and (laughs) a little bit egotistical. (laughs) But also, of course, it's egotistical because the ego literally thinks of itself as the universal constant because I'm an academic nerd and I learn these things. And this is how I cope with being autistic. (laughs) So I suffer really badly from anxiety, which means that I have a tendency to overthink social situations a lot and try and play them back and try and perfect them. But it's very much about understanding what people do but not being able to read it so I came across as not really doing well with people so I've put a lot of focus into how I think about people and just doing a little bit of processing not 
as much as masking, but enough just to kind of make my brain start to consider more than one option as to what's going on. And that's meant that my people skills are now seen as one of my strongest things at work. And people don't know that my the actual strength inside my head is this wild ability to take 20 different random facts and see the patterns within them and see the stuff and go, ah, that's the really important thing because this, 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 and that leads us over to this conclusion over here, which to me seems blindingly obvious and to everyone else is just like, how did we end up talking over here? And it's taken me a while to learn how to unpack that pattern and to take people on that journey. I read a really good book by a trans autistic woman called um, Uncomfortable Labels, I think it is. Yes, you did. I did. And one of the things that she talks about is it's not a spectrum. It's like a spider's web, but it's about on all those different things. Some of them I will be closer towards the autism spectrum. I will show things that might be a sign of autism, but on a lot of them I don't. So it's very much a spider's web of traits. And autism is where you've got more of those traits at the extremes and some of those traits at the extremes than others. But it's not like any neuronormative person doesn't show those traits. It just means neuronormativity is a wonderful symphony. There's always little motifs being picked out and some things are louder and quieter. That's an excellent analogy. Yes, I I know the book you're talking about. I have a personally signed copy. I'm so proud I got uh, given a copy for my 50th birthday by a lovely oh. autistic trans woman who's not the author. One of the things that Laura K. Dale, who is the author of that book, talks about in that book, but also in her other work, is that there is a correlation between autistic people who are also trans and trans people who are also autistic. You find weirdly statistically relevant combination of those two things. Why? No one knows. Do we need to find out? Probably not. Who cares, really? (laughs) There's no reason to care other than it might be used against you, which unfortunately is the case. As I'm sure our listeners will certainly know, autism, neuro-non-normativity are used as reasons to preclude people from all sorts of things. Consent, care, health care, trans care, for example. Oh, you're autistic, so you can't possibly know that you're trans or not, which is just bullshit. And using one's non-normativity, using one's autism or any other characteristic to somehow define another is really, really fucked up. But people will do it. And that's because there's still massive discrimination about that. There's still complete lack of public awareness and public motivation i think to be aware of these issues and having so much experience of autism in my life my family there's a lot of us who are <laughs> autistic, but, which is to say that basically if you get the right help and the right access anyone can be part of culture and society in their own unique way i definitely do register on the autism scale in very particular ways but it of course didn't occur to me to self-interrogate until finally I did, because of kind people who were willing to <laughs> help me realize this in a really positive way. So I didn't feel bad about it, because that's very, very easily done, mm. because this culture will make you feel bad about it. When you are so different, and when you finally realize that you are, trying to explain that to someone else is not a 
value-neutral proposition. I know that when I explain my difference to others, often I have to do so in a way that is prepared for them to disagree, sometimes even violently, with my proposition. Whether that is to explain, yes, I'm trans. No, that's not a problem. No, it's not your concern. <laughs> no, I should have rights, et cetera, et cetera. Or in this case, yes, I'm neuro-non-normative. Yes, that's hard to figure out. Yes, it took me a really long time. And it means that I think a certain way. No, it doesn't mean that I'm deficient. Nor does it mean that I would be any more deficient if I wasn't able to communicate with you as well as I can. Because I can communicate. But that took a hell of a lot of work. Now, yes, I can tell you very often what are the complex motivations of human mind doing a certain thing. Because I've learned to do that. Also, because I'm an extremely anxious person, I have learned to predict behavior very, very well, very, very quickly. The reason I'm really good at that is because I've had to be. Because, of course, the problem with being different is that you're often shunned, you're often required to hide that. So masking is exactly what we do constantly. For example, if you're going to look at autism, and if you're going to look at research into autism, some of the first research into autism used to suggest that girls didn't get it. Yeah. They used it, to was insist a, that it was a boy thing. It was only boys. Yep. And they were shocked. Like, why? What genetic co could cause this? What issue? Well, the problem, of course, is that they didn't occur to them to think, well, girls aren't allowed to exhibit the behavior that autism might cause them to exhibit. So they learned to mask much more quickly. Girls are required to socialize in certain ways and hide in other ways, which they learned to do and then also applied to their autism. So, of course, eventually it was discovered that, yes, <laughs> everyone can be autistic. It's nothing to do with genetic biology in that <laughs> regard. Not something to do with somehow having a particular chromosome or a particular propensity to certain hormones. No, it's bullshit. What it is, is there is a sociological imperative. And I had to learn that in a secondary way mm. because my anxiety was easier to spot. It still took a really long time and I've had to deal with that in a different way. But anxiety can look like autism. And autism can look like anxiety. One can be misread. I was going to use the word misdiagnosed, but that's not the word I want to use. One can be misread for the other. Very anxious people will do things that look like autism, the self-soothing behaviors. I will rub my fingers together in a particular way. During some of my worst days, I used to sit there with a little plushy dog at work that Maria had given me and stroke it because she recognized that just doing that would help me stay calm in very anxious situations. It is a version of people's functioning. It's a way certain brains work. Now, why? No one can tell you right now. I can tell you that for a fact. No one knows. Mm. I've had people, <laughs> I had one particular physician call me up and suggest that autism might be caused by gluten intolerance. And I pointed out to that person that that's not a thing. <laughs> And this person was a professional of some sort in their particular field. And you'll be glad to know we, we no longer see that person. But it's like there's so much mm. misunderstanding. There are institutions in this country that misunderstand this terribly. But no one can tell you why. But for me personally, there's no need to know. In fact, <laughs> I've always said this about people needing to know why 
people are the way they are. This thing of like, is there a gay gene? Is there a trans gene? Now, whether there is or not is immaterial because the question I always have is, why do you want to know? Why do you want to know? Because science is not objective. As much as scientists will insist that it is, as Jay knows, science is not objective. You choose a subject because you think it's important. You have an interest in it. Why do you have an interest in it? Because you're sociologically affected to have that interest. That means that when you ask the question, is there a gay gene? You want to know because there's a reason. You didn't pick what makes chocolate chocolate. No, you chose to study is there a gay gene? And the reason you want to know is because you want to know if someone's born with it. And if they're born with it, that that causes some sort of like logic loop. People like to say, oh, you know, you're born being gay, which would mean for some reason that you're allowed inalienable rights. Well, what if it was a choice? Shouldn't you just have those rights anyway? Who cares? There are situations in culture that we provide rights to choices all the time. People choose to be members of a particular congregation and religion. Those rights are codified into law to the nth degree, and that is by definition a choice, a choice to be faithful, the choice to have faith. You're not born with a genetic faith gene. <laughs> you are led to that. So why couldn't this be a choice too? It's all about this belief that somehow if you're born with this condition, that somehow gives you certain legitimacy, but also allows for a eugenics argument that's absolutely fucking terrifying. Oh, yeah. Is applied to trans people, gay people, and also, of course, to neuro-normative people, to people with disabilities, people who've got these particular ways of seeing the world. And it's all of one thing. And it's all a tremendous pain and makes one feel incredibly sad about the state of things. One of the reasons it took me so long to figure out that I was part of that, <laughs> because of course, this world I'm living in does not allow for that. It was more acceptable for me to be anxious, which I am, by the way, don't get me wrong. I'm also anxious, which is caused by being trans in a non-accepting world, but it's also caused by being neuro-non-normative in a neuro-normative world, because being different in this world causes tremendous anxiety, which also happens to look a lot like being autistic. But I think it opens up an interesting question about diagnosis and the medicalization of these identities, of these subjectivities, of these ways of being. I like subjectivities. Me too. I like that it's not about being normative, it's about being subjective. So your brain sees the world in a subjectively different way to mine, and there is no normal there's just a whole part of different subjectivities that you need to be aware of. Yeah, it's a word I started using when I was studying trans for the first time because I didn't like trans identity or identities because I felt it was too narrow. So I said trans subjectivities, as in there's a whole myriad possibilities and this can encompass all sorts of those, which includes, of course, you can use the same term for all sorts of things. But I'm glad you like it. I'm happy to, to continue to use it as a sort of shorthand for us. <laughs> but what I think is really interesting in that regard is trans subjectivity and autistic or non-normative neurosubjectivities are often based on diagnoses in this particular culture that support is only being given or have access to if you have a diagnosis, which means you have to go through a certain medical process, which unfortunately isn't always great <laughs> and can be very problematic. At the same time, we need access to these things because otherwise existing in a non-accessible world is very, very difficult, if not impossible or really, really stressful. So there is this interesting and complicated line between 
having your identity medicalized or pathologized or both, having to get a diagnosis for something that honestly shouldn't really be called a diagnosis, and then getting access assistance. The, the, the person who really tipped me over was actually Effie. But the person before that was a professor whose specialty happens to be autism and who is autistic. And literally we went to tea a couple of times in a row. We hadn't seen each other in years. And we went to tea and then one day she just turned around and said, Josephine, you know, because she was telling me about her story. She's like, you know, I didn't really know I was autistic until, you know, kind of a few years ago. And then I realized and I was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I just assumed you knew because to me it was so obvious. And of course, it wasn't an issue. It never came up other than I just assumed she knew. And then she said, yeah, but like you, you know. And I said, what do you mean? <laughs> and she was like, really? <laughs> I love you for the fact that, again, you spot it in others and cannot turn that mind upon yeah. yourself to interrogate yourself in such a way it's a gigantic blind spot yeah because of course she then literally brought out a piece of paper with here are the characteristics that one would look for for autism in people who present as girls or femmes you know mm. and i was like yeah 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 yes 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 definitely yes yes and yeah pretty much yes yes <laughs> The Did whole thing just just was like, yes. And I went, yeah, but I'm also anxious. And a lot of these things could be from anxiety. And she was like, yeah, but your autistic brain just made you realize that, didn't it? Really? <laughs> <laughs> but it's also, what is the difference between being anxious and being autistic? Like right. my subjectivity is quite different to yours. Yet we both suffer from anxiety, from the shit of being different in a shitty world that expects you to not be different. Yes. But is that anxiety what we both have in common? And is those strange little differences, is that part of our subjectivities, a part of our supposedly normative and supposedly non-normative subjectivities of the world? You raise a really interesting point. What is anxiety? What is autism? I think there are certain characteristics have to do with worldview aren't related to just reacting to anxiety. Yes, there are absolutely certain things that definitely PTSD and autism and neuro-non-normativity almost completely overlap. One would be lots of predictive thinking, lots of planning out and trying to predict other people's behavior. Things that are anxiety that aren't necessarily autism might be disassociation, for example. Things that are autism, necessarily anxiety, would be certain pattern recognition, certain ways of thinking. Like you said, I having a stupidly good memory for certain things, and I do, but I also have an absolutely terrible memory when it comes to my own past experience, and that is anxiety. And so you're right, it's really hard to tease them out, and it has to do with, like you said, a set pattern of characteristics that match on certain categories. But of course, the two coexist, like you rightly mm. said. If you're different in this culture, you're going to be anxious. You're taught by the model that we're currently in to believe that you're the problem if you can't function in that system. Oh, where the, yes. Where the truth is that system is not flexible enough to account for the massive variation in neurological processing. Mm. Because you've, you've been forced into that system and you have learned to debilitate yourself so much that you now no longer can do the thing you used to be able to do. And that's how much damage structures that are inflexible can do to someone who's different. And I'm very aware of that from friends who are, say, autistic, who are adults now, who are explaining to me the damage that 
was done to them, having to learn to fit into this culture that would not accept their difference and the debilitation that it has caused. And if they're lucky, they may be able to relearn some of their strengths later on in life. And of course, now I'm having to figure it out for myself as well, mm-hmm. trying to uh, take the brakes off and to cast down masks that I didn't even really realize that were there. It's a whole new coming out process, which is another topic for another day, but it's a very unusual one because mm. I didn't know I needed to come out <laughs> for this one. So just on the left and right handedness, I broke the rotator cuff on my right shoulder, which meant for, I think it was eight weeks, I couldn't use my hand for mousing or writing. So I ended up having to learn to write left-handed. I can draw just as well with my left and right hands, but I draw slower. And it's much more painstaking, but I can draw just as well with my left hand. I can't write as well because it's not practiced at forming the words. So handedness, there's a lot of learntness in there as well. And you can, at some point, if you're forced to, overcome your natural handedness and work the other way around. But also gave me an insight into how difficult it is as a child to be forced to use your other hand because it's not as dexterous you're not as able to do the fine muscle control first off you you have to concentrate to make it work whereas when I write with my right hand it just works whereas when I write with my left hand I have to slow down and think very carefully of the shapes I want to make but isn't it an excellent analogy of masking they're insisting you use this hand and you can do it but you have to concentrate. It means that you're actually sort of choking your own capabilities because you're having to focus so hard to make this image look the way they want you to with the wrong hand and to try and function. And there's so much work into it. Whereas if you'd have just done it the way that you naturally had the inclination to, you would have done it much more quickly and much better and you would have been much more comfortable. Mm. And you wouldn't have had some of that anxiety stuff built up because your concentration being so focused, your brain gets tighter faster the thing that would have actually made you do it intuitively your actual neural non-normativity hasn't even entered into the issue yet (laughs) we have to unpick the crap that was done to you because it was trying to force you into a system into a box as you so like to put it that just does not contain you and forces you to retain the shape that is not only impractical non-intuitive uncomfortable upsetting and anxiety causing not only like i how can i retain this position and what happens if i'm found out you can layer that just right over any other queer identity that you want to yeah i think you've done that wrapping up it's your turn to do it because you're quite right it is that masking that extra effort and those anxiety pathways in your brain flood your body with cortisol and not dopamine and this is why i start to focus on stuff that makes your heart sing because and makes you feel happy because if you do something that makes you feel happy, I do things in a slightly different way to my peers at work, but I do it a way that makes me feel happy. And I get the same result. I get the people to come along on the journey with me. We have a huge laugh while doing it. Therefore my stuff doesn't look quite the same as everyone else's. That's not a problem. But it's my actual strength. It's, yeah, it's not. No, this is your real strength. That's what I mean. Yeah. This is your strength coming out. Yeah. And you finding that intuitiveness, that flow for you by allowing yourself and valuing that as well. Mm. I think it's wonderful. It's an inspiration and, for me. I, I can tell you. 
at that point, then perhaps we should call this one a day and we can come back to some of these topics again. I'm sure we will. Uh, so Dr. J, what are we going to talk about next week? She's fucking written something again, hasn't she? <laughs> that, that she is wont to do that. <laughs> is it want or won't? No, it is my won't. It is my want. I've, I've it is my it want. It's it W-A-N-T. I've seen it written both ways. It's W-O-N-T without an apostrophe. A slightly older spelling of W-A-N-T. Okay. Well, I wish she won't. She (laughs) wants to keep doing it. So I shall say to you. I'd rather not. (laughs) Rather fucking not. Thank you again, dear listener, for joining us for another It Is Complicated. Please come back next week when we shall be speaking about something and not that.